Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, 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 this is the Real Talk SLP podcast, and I'm your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. Happy Tuesday. We made it past Monday. I don't know about you guys, but for whatever reason, Mondays are never consistent for me. There are weeks when I am seizing those Mondays and and I'm like, bring it on Monday. We're having a great day. And I feel prepared. I have high energy. I've done my morning routine. And then there's other weeks where I've just dragged my feet. I'm dragging myself out of bed. Um, you know, I'm not prepared with the week. I didn't like prep the, you know, prep for the week or what, know what's happening. And I just feel like I'm dragging. Um, I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but there are definitely, I'm just not a Monday person. I try to be positive. I try, but there are just some weeks when I'm like, yeah, Mondays, you're not, I just, I don't like you. I think it's because I, I struggle with transitioning out of a routine. And it's really funny because I'm not a highly routine oriented person in terms of like, I don't do the same things every single day at the same time always. I think I like that. And I like when it's, when it goes down like that, but I do not live my life like that. And so when you make me have a certain routine Monday through Friday, and then Saturday, you know, the weekend comes and I can stay up late and go do things with my kids and go to activities. And then Monday comes along and you're like, oh, I got to wake up early again. What? (laughs) So it can just be rough. So anyways, long story short, I hope you're having a happy Tuesday and that Monday wasn't too bad. So I'm really excited today about the guest that's going to be on. It's Rachel Madel. You can find her on Instagram at Rachel Madel SLP. And we're going to, and she's also one of the hosts for the podcast Talking with Tech AAC. And she is just one of the, the, the queen SLPs in the AAC world for me. I think what we really, I really love talking with her. She's really fun to talk with. Whenever I talk with her, she's always giving me and other SLPs, really practical ideas and tips for how to create an engaging therapy session with AAC. And she takes the overwhelm away when you think about AAC. You know, sometimes it's overwhelming. You're like, I don't even know where to begin or what to do. And I don't even know how to take that next step. And so she really helps break it down and make it feel less scary. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, actually, is we're going to be discussing AAC therapy and AAC devices and, and, and how we can use them to help support autistic children with with building communication and and I know we I know many of you probably have students that have autism on your case on your caseload and you're wondering would this student benefit from an AAC device 
or what could I do to get this student to talk more? Um, what I'm doing right now just doesn't feel like it's working. And so we're going to be talking about that today in our interview. And I'm really excited because I think it's going to help give you some clarity on where to go with some of your students on your caseload. So let's hop over to that interview with Rachel. I hope you enjoy it. All right. So I'm so excited to have Rachel Madel on the podcast to talk about AAC and autistic children. And so welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much, Felice. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I love talking to you. We did an Instagram live talking about virtual AAC therapy and assessment, and it was really fun and informative. Yes. It was so fun. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. So like, we were like, oh, how long is this Instagram live going to be? And like an hour later, we're like, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> but I could have kept going. Yes. I got a lot of good feedback that everyone loved um, hearing your tips and they were very practical. And uh, yes, I'm, I've decided that you're going to be my AAC coach for life. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm here to help. I feel like there's a lot of like things to know and be in the know about AAC and technology in general. So I'm here for you, girl. I love it. So let's just let everyone know on for the, if they don't know who you are, uh, just a little bit of your background as a speech pathologist and what you are passionate about with serving children that have communication needs. Yeah. So I, you know, have been in private practice now for over six years, which feels crazy. Um, before I was in private practice and I'm based out of Los Angeles, I was working actually with preschoolers and that's when I kind of really got passionate about AAC. And it was kind of like I was backed into a corner in a lot of ways. My kids weren't making progress with our speech goals and I just like had to figure out another way. And I always tell this story. I might've actually shared it on the Instagram live. Live, uh, Felice, but I um, remember in graduate school, uh, I went into a preschool classroom. Um, a lot of the kids were um, not speaking, and I remember one of my my cohort, someone in my cohort, was saying, "Oh, well, maybe we should try like pictures." And I remember thinking, like, "Why would we do that? Like, we need to teach these kids to talk. Like, we're speech therapists." And so it's just like so ironic to think that, like, you know, fast forward, here I am, like specializing in AAC, super passionate about giving kids alternative means to communicate if they need it, augmentative if they need that. And so I really like, you know, was was in a situation where I was working with lots of students who just weren't making progress. And I realized the power of visual supports and how they can really aid, um, especially students um, who have autism in their understanding of language, in their ability to use language more spontaneously and independently. And so then I moved out to LA from, from Pennsylvania originally, moved out to LA six over six years ago now and started a practice and just like started doing a lot of work with autism and AAC and fast forward now I have a podcast and all these things. I'm known in the field um, for autism and AAC and I'm super excited because I just love technology and I love working with students when everyone on the team maybe has, hasn't had success or is feeling like they're struggling and they don't know what to do and we can introduce technology and AAC and we can really start moving the needle. So that's like one of the, my favorite things about what I do is like I have the opportunity to really take kids who haven't made progress, um, take therapists who are like, oh, I'm so frustrated, like it's not working and really help and show how we can use, use technology to really move the needle for our kids. So do you ever 
contract with school districts or come in and help support and give a different perspective? With yes. AAC? Yes, I do. I do a lot of work with school districts. I mean, obviously I'm in private practice, so I work with a lot of families, but if you're really thinking holistically, you have to work with the entire team. And so like the kids that I work with, these complex communicators, right? They need support from every angle. So it's like, if you're working with just a language delayed preschooler, you have the the, the flexibility, right? To kind of be in your silo and um, kids still make progress. Our kids with complex communication needs, that doesn't work, right? If we're all doing mm-hmm. things in different ways, it's just, it's not going to work. And so I have to, by the nature of the children that I'm working with, I have to work with their school team, with other private practitioners that are on the team, with parents. So I think that's kind of a cornerstone to my practice is that it's, if you come to me as a family and you're like, I want to work with you for AAC, it's like, well, I want to work with your entire team. So that's the way that we see progress is when, you know, everybody on the team is doing the same thing in the same way. And so, yes, I do a lot of work with school districts doing trainings, working with specific individual students, working with teachers. So I kind of do a lot of different things, but really just like teaching people how to utilize AAC. Now with all the virtual learning, how can we utilize it virtually through telepractice? So I'm lucky to kind of have my hand in like a lot of different types of, you know, contracts and working with lots of different kinds of practitioners and parents and families and schools and lots of things. That's awesome. Yeah. I definitely was put in a corner as well where I remember I was on a, in a school campus and I had two autism classrooms and I was in the same place where I'm like, okay, this isn't working. I have, <laughs> I got, I had a lot of AAC training in my grad program, but then I, fortunately at my district would always send us to training. So I found some really good AAC trainings because I was like, something else has to change. And so I went to this year long AAC assessment. We met every month think once or twice, sometimes twice a month. And it was an all day training. And we went, I went with some other SLPs, but yeah, it was like trying to retrain like, okay, how are we going to serve this population so that they're making growth and that they're generalizing and that they're not sounding super rote either, that that they're novelly communicating and just rethinking things that, that I learned, but I didn't, I was a little overwhelmed with implementing. So I think that's where a lot of SLPs are. It's like some of them have the the training and the, and it, they understand it, but it's the actual implementing that is really hard and working with teams. So I'm excited to have you share about all your tips. And Definitely. Be- yes, before we jump into this topic. So I always ask my, my guests to share a song that either helps them stay encouraged. And I would love it if you could share a song that reminds you or keeps you encouraged when you're hitting a lot of roadblocks in life or with therapy. So I know for myself personally, there's a lot of roadblocks working with autistic children because we're trying to find out what they like, what's going to make them excited to communicate. And then we have to work with staff and also trying to figure out how to use some of these AAC devices. So I would love to know when things get rough, how, what song do you use to help you press forward? First of all, I love this question. As soon as I read this, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll be able to think of a song. And like literally within like two seconds, I was like, yes, I already know what my song is. My song is Don't Stop Believin'. First of all, I love 80s music. So that's like one of my jams. But I also think it's especially relevant when you're working with kids with complex communication needs because I feel like it's like, 
we need to believe, we need to be the champions for our kids, right? I work with students who the parents don't even believe that change is possible. So it's like, I feel like I'm, sometimes I'm the only person that has that belief that change is possible, that communication is possible. And so I feel like that song, it's like perfect for what I do. And it's also just an important, it's an important reminder, like we really need to believe because if we go into a case or a situation or a classroom where we feel like nothing's ever going to change, we'll be right every time. Every single time we'll be right. We have to start with the belief that kids are capable of making progress, that they're capable of learning how to communicate. And so I feel like when we start with that belief, you know, I, I put it all on myself, right? I have to be the one that figures out if it's not working, if a student's not communicating, it's like, well, maybe I need to figure out a different type of tool or a different strategy, or I need to train parents or communication partners more. So don't stop believing. That's my song. I love it. And I, I can attest to that. Like but so, you have to not stop believing because it may take six months and then you wake up and you're like, that kid just said hi to me. And, and it's, or that teacher just let me in the classroom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or we just did. Yeah. She just said, okay, I'll, I'll work with this at this time. And I'm like, what? But I love that. So I was thinking for my song with this is uh, the Beatles, we can work it out. So, cause a lot of times I have to work things out with, uh, the kids, but if I'm going to be real, it's usually the the adults. We got totally, work things out. <laughs> totally, totally. And it's also like I think what people what people think about AAC is that it's like this this process where if you find this perfect tool, right, then everything falls to, falls into place. And like, does that happen sometimes? Yes, sometimes that is like, oh, we found a tool, and like, look, he's picking it up so fast, and all these things. But that's not the reality. Most of the time, I can find a great tool, but it's not working. So part of the process is troubleshooting, coming together as a team and being like, okay, this isn't working. Have we thought about this? Have we thought about maybe not using icons, but maybe we should snap some photos of that vocabulary and see if that makes a difference. So a lot of what I spend my time doing with teams is just troubleshooting. And it's not like this situation where like I come in and I have all the answers. It's really like, okay, what about this? Have you thought about this? I'm giving some suggestions and then as a team coming together and saying like, oh, maybe we should try this. But it's like this, this idea that it, it's like, oh, once I find the right tool, it'll work. No, that's not the way it typically goes because every kid is so different. Um, and so the thing that you do with one kid like might not work for another kid the same way that any strategy that we're using in our practice doesn't always translate. So I love that song because I feel like, yes, like we, we can work it out. We just need to come together as a team and figure out what's not working and figure out what is working and build off of that. Totally. And that is why I think it can be overwhelming is because it is different for every student. And so also taking a step back, what it's like in a classroom, being the classroom teacher, trying to navigate all those things. And so I constantly keep that perspective going because I also go in and push in a lot and I've ran a whole class lesson and I've seen like, oh, this is harder than it looks. So that has helped me too with coaching making sure like this has to be a team decision. We have to, we have to also take small actionable steps every week and it's okay if we have a setback here and there because we can always work around those things. So yes, I love those two songs. They go perfectly with what we're going to talk about today. And one of the biggest questions that I get is from SLPs is how do I know if a child would benefit 
having an AAC device? And would you consider an AAC device even if the child is verbally talking? So I would love if you would kind of share your expertise around those two questions. Yes. So one of my kind of litmus tests for like if a child might be a good candidate for AAC, if anybody has that thought, it's probably true. (laughs) If you have the thought, I wonder if this kid would benefit from AAC, the kid would benefit from AAC. So I feel like that's something that like I often get that question too. It's like, well, I'm not really sure. And everyone's afraid to kind of make a misstep with AAC, which I think is why a lot of practitioners just they, they, they're, they're kind of standing and, and not taking any action because they're afraid of making the wrong move. For me, the wrong move is not starting AAC. We know AAC never hurts, right? Having a device or visual representations of language on a communication board, like it doesn't hurt kids, right? We know that visual supports actually help all students, not just students with disabilities. So it's like if, if we know that AAC doesn't hurt, then the harm is waiting when we think it might help and not doing anything because we don't know what to do. And so something that's really simple that everybody can start doing is just, you know, get a communication board. I have a free one on my website and you can literally just get started with a communication board to kind of answer the second part of that question. um, What if the child has verbal speech? And I have to tell you, people are shocked to hear this, but in my practice, I'd say like, of all the kids that I see with AAC, I'd say like 60% of them have verbal speech. And people are like, what? Like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's crazy, right? Like kids who can speak, I use AAC with. And the reason is because most of the kids that I'm seeing who have verbal speech, who also have a diagnosis of autism, they all of their speech, when you strip away everything, it's very scripted. It's very context-specific, meaning I use specific words and phrases in specific activities, but it's not generalizing, right, to like new and novel activities or new and novel speech. And also, um, kids have a lot of receptive language challenges. And so when you have all those things together, sometimes kids with autism can be very verbal and it can appear like they have tons of language. They're putting four or five words together into sentences like, oh my goodness, why would they ever need AAC? And the reason is because, so kids with autism oftentimes are what are called gestalt language learners. So they learn language in chunks. But what happens with gestalt language learners is that they can't break down the individual units of the words. So pop the bubbles is an example that I give. Um, I have a student, he's like, pop the bubbles. He loves watching the bubbles and popping the bubbles. I bring out an iPad game that has balloons that we pop. And what does he say? He doesn't say pop the balloons. He says pop the bubbles, right? Because he learned that gestalt, that two word phrase. He learned it as one specific meaning. So Part of it is teaching that these individual words have meaning on their own. And so a lot of what I do with kids who have verbal speech with AAC is we kind of go back and I have to set a really strong foundation of those individual word units so that they're understanding that like we can pop the balloon. We also can pop the bubble. There's lots of things that can pop, right? And so that's just a specific example of how, you know, a student who has verbal speech Maybe they need that visual representation in order to learn those individual word units so it can really aid in the comprehension. And then you're able to get in and you're able to have students 
being more spontaneous with the things that they're talking about because they actually understand those individual word units instead of just memorizing specific scripts for specific activities. Totally. And I've seen, I've been seeing that with some of my students too, where they, they really can't even just say go in in a novel way or they, when we are looking at funny gifts or anything, they don't really even know how to say cool or awesome or that's so funny. And I think for me, the big roadblock that I'm having right now is parent buy-in because I'm doing everything virtually. And I also have some, I think I have some cultural barriers too, and trying to understand what's important to families from different cultures, because they really value, they want their kid to say full sentences, answering WH questions. That is what shows, you know, that neurotypical development for them. And I'm trying to go, well, okay, let's work on joint attention. Let's work on building the functions of communication, even if it's only one word. And it's hard. I don't know if you have any ideas or tips, like how to break through those, those barriers, those mis I don't know what they are. It just difference, you know, showing the parents like it's, we're not gonna, he's gonna say longer sentences. Yeah. No, this is literally something I have to deal with all the time because the students who come to see me who have speech, who have autism, they, they oftentimes can put lots of words together. And so I think that one of the misconceptions is the fact that because kids can put together lots of words, you know, if they can say a four or five word phrase, well, that's the language stage that they're at, right? Which is a complete complete like misunderstanding of the way that kids, especially with autism, learn language. So I first have to get parents understanding how kids with autism learn language differently. So I think that's the conversation first is like understanding that like kids with autism oftentimes have this unique ability to imitate four or five word sentences and and in the right context, right? It's like every time they see the door open, they're like, let's go outside. They can use that phrase, but it's just not translating to like you said, Felice, other opportunities for the word go, right? You show them something new and novel and like they've got nothing. They've got nothing unless you give them some type of model or prompt um, or you tell them what to say. And so I think the biggest thing is just like really highlighting that. So one of the ways that I do this in my sessions, because no parent comes to me and like wants to hear like, oh, like we're actually going to go back to single words. Like no parent wants to hear that. Like, no, no, we've made so much progress. He can say five words. I'm like, okay, but like, let me show you something. So I typically will use GIFs. I'm a huge fan of GIFs in my therapy. And the reason is because say a student has learned how to use the word, um, eat, for example. So they might be able to use it in a specific context, but does that mean that they can use it in a context they've never seen before? And oftentimes these, you know, the kids that I work with, they have um, ABA and it's like, oh, they've mastered all these things. I'm like, okay, have they mastered them? For me, mastery is introducing something completely novel that they've never seen and that they're using that language. And so showing a GIF, for example, of a giraffe eating popcorn and saying like, what's he doing? And nine times out of 10, a child with autism will say popcorn right? They're not using a verb or they might say giraffe, 
right? They're honing in on that noun. And so, and then of course, parents typically will be like, oh no, but like he knows the word eating. Like he, he says eating all the time. And then I'll be like, okay, like let's find like an elephant eating something random and all of these pictures that they've never seen before. And again, nine times out of 10, it's like, they're not, they're not building unique and novel sentences. And that's a way to illustrate like, look, see, like they're not actually generalizing those concepts. And so that's something that's really powerful for parents to see. Oftentimes when you start talking through the lens of they're stuck using I want and that phrase and just telling you telling you what they want and parents can, that resonates with parents. They're like, you're right. He is only saying I want and a noun. He's not using words to comment or, you know, do all these things. And so when you kind of get that buy-in, like, yeah, see, I'm explaining your kid to a T, right? Like I know exactly what's going on and I know how to fix it, right? I know what we need to do. We need to kind of go back a few steps because if it's not generalizing, then we need to have more explicit instruction around that single word before we can then jump to putting those concepts together. So that's one way that I think is really powerful. Um, The other way is just teaching about this idea of abstract versus concrete language. So kids with autism are very concrete thinkers. They typically have like tons and tons and tons of nouns, right? It's like every specific like construction, like truck, they know the names of specifically and like all these really impressive nouns, but they're not really using abstract language. They're not using other parts of speech like verbs and prepositions and pronouns, or if they're using them, they're either using them in a memorized script or some type of memorized context. And so I like to talk about this idea of abstract versus concrete because we need to get kids thinking more abstractly. They think, they look at the picture of the giraffe eating popcorn and they think giraffe. They think popcorn, which are super concrete, right? They're both nouns. They're not thinking about the action eating. And so that's another way to kind of frame it. When you want to think about how abstract or concrete a word is, think about how easy it is to draw. So if I say draw truck, it's like, okay, little box and wheels, like anybody can draw something that sort of resembles a vehicle. If I say draw go, like what would you draw? You'd have to draw some type of symbol that represents that concept because it's not easily illustrated. If it's not easily illustrated, it means it's abstract. And the more abstract languages, the harder it is typically for kids to understand it and for them to think through those language concepts. And so I think that conversation is really powerful for families too, because then they start realizing, oh, you're right. Like he's only thinking like specific nouns and we can't build sentences with only nouns, right? Like we, we can only go so far with nouns. We can't really build anything unique and novel without verbs and prepositions and pronouns. And so when you kind of frame it those two ways, I find that parents are like, oh, okay. Like, I guess I feel a little bit better about kind of going back to what feels like the basics. Totally. And do you feel it like it only takes a couple of sessions and then you get parent buy-in or do you ever have parents where it's just, it's really hard to, to <laughs> get them to cross over? Like, okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I do have parents who like, don't want to cross over that bridge with me. <laughs> they like, can't believe that like, 
I'm like going back to single words um, or single ideas. And so it's it's challenging with those those kinds of cases because they jump ahead too soon. And then it's like kids will show that they can memorize it, right? But they don't show that they actually understand it. And more importantly, they don't show that they can use it spontaneously in new and novel routines. And so a lot of the, the students that I work with are super prompt dependent. So that's another like huge kind of barrier. And I think when parents start understanding and really looking at what is my child saying completely on their own, they're not being told what to say, or they're not being asked a question, then like, what are they actually saying? So actually one of the the resources on my website, it's a free resource. It has, it's the AAC coaching bundle and it has a, a tracking sheet. So it's just like spontaneous language tracking. And so for some families, I'll say, okay, for the next week, I want you to take this. I want you to print it out and have it around. And I want you to just write down everything that your child says completely on their own. And I have to be really explicit. I'm like, you can't ask them a question. You can't like tell them, tell me what you want. Like none of that. Like I have an idea and I communicate it with you without any other type of assistance. And I have to tell you, like when parents come back after like a week, they're like, whoa, like they're not really saying anything on their own or like, I'm so surprised. Like I thought they were saying so much more on their own, but they're really not. And so that exercise is really powerful because then it's like, oh, okay. So we need to get them more spontaneously communicating. Like we're relying a lot on them following models from us and us giving them the words, right? And so then that's the easy sell for AAC. Because if you have a student who isn't isn't really using a lot of spontaneous language, what happens is like we don't really have a choice, right? If we don't have AAC and we have a student who's verbal, we say we're holding something that they want. Say they want to turn the TV on. And like we tempt them, right? But by holding the remote up to the TV but not turning the TV on. If we don't have AAC or some type of visual representation of the language, the only thing we have is to say, tell me, turn it on. We have to basically spoon feed them the words. That's the only thing we have. If we have no other type of visual support, then we have to rely on giving them the words and having them imitate. But that's a completely different skill. Imitating the words that I say is not formulating the words in my head and then communicating them to you. And so when you explain that to parents, that can typically get the buy-in for AAC because I'm like, first we, we, we give a lot of input, right? So maybe we're working on the word on. And so we're not going to build a three-word sentence on an AAC system, right? We're just going to focus on that single concept on. And so I give lots of input. It's like, okay, I'm going to turn the TV on. I model it on the device. Let's turn the TV or let's turn the, you know, the microwave on. Let's put the, you know, music on. There's lots of opportunities, right? And then we tempt after we've given enough input, then we tempt by, again, holding the remote up to the TV and then waiting, right? And if then the child doesn't respond by saying on or turn it on or whatever, then we point down to the, the, the device. And all of a sudden, we have a way to visually cue a student that's a little bit more closer to independent communication than if we just give the language for them to just like imitate, which the kids with autism can do like in their sleep, like half thinking about it, half thinking about whatever else is going on in their brain. So, right, right, right. 
I feel like that's like a really easy like buy-in for the AAC because otherwise we just, we don't have anything. We just have, okay, tell me, turn it on. And they're like, turn it on. And then it's just this vicious cycle where it's just like, and then kids become super prompt dependent because they're used to us telling them what to say always, right? So I feel like for kids who are verbal specifically, it's really nice to have the AAC because again, they learn how to problem solve and figure out what word can I say in this specific situation to get her to turn the TV on. Totally. And I think you touched upon just the the idea that I think for this is an issue for us speech pathologists too, is we want to start taking data right away. We want to start eliciting right away, but you were, you're kind of saying, Hey, in the beginning, we are modeling, 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 and we're picking verbs, prepositions. So Mm -hmm. we're modeling, modeling, creating show, using it ourselves, and then taking a step back to see if we dangle the carrot, what will happen. And then, and that means waiting pausing, withholding, but then not verbally prompting and then modeling with the AAC device again. So it really is, I think sometimes a different way of approaching therapy because we also, because our parents that they're coming or the teachers are saying, they're expecting that we are going to take them into our room, do our little task card magic and then they're going to walk out and, and now use sentences. And we're, and I think I fall, we all fall into that trap a little bit of thinking, no, oh, I have to show he's at least 60% accurate after the first session, you know? Totally. And well, yeah, it's different. Yeah, it is different. And I think that as, as practitioners and as educators, like we want to see quick successes. And so it's hard to kind of wrap our heads around this idea that like first we need to teach. And I think that that's one of the mistakes that I myself have made in the past. A lot of my clinicians who work for me, I'm constantly kind of like training them. Like we can't jump and start testing right? Like we really need to give enough input before we can expect a student to use an AAC system to communicate. And and so it's like, I'm a really big fan of pausing and waiting. And like you said, Felice dangling that carrot. But at the same time, like if I haven't given sufficient input on that specific language target, like of course the child's not going to do it. They need enough time to see us use the language in specific ways in lots of situations in order to then start understanding it. And then when they start understanding it, then they can start using it more expressively um, and find those words on the device. But I think it's hard for like practitioners to kind of wrap their heads around that. I think one of the best ways to do that like if you're if you're going to take data, like take data on how, you know, well a student follows a model from you, right? Like that's something that you can keep, you know, taking data on because with specific words, like you're going to need to give models. Um, how well does the student respond? If you model on, does the child then imitate that model? That's something that you can track. And then once the student is like getting at a really high level of accuracy with just following models, then you fade back to a visual cue, right? So I don't have to give a direct model, but maybe I just point to the device or I point to the word. And then I just look at the device, right? You're kind of following a prompting hierarchy. So I think it's possible to take data. Um, but I think what happens is that like we put something, a situation in front of a student and then we're like, 
it's either like we, we kind of just like, oh, okay, like now show me what you know, right? Like show me what you can say. <laughs> and uh, it's like that or the opposite, which is just like, tell me cookie, tell me water. We're giving tons of demands. So I think there's like a happy medium, but we can't forget to give explicit instruction for kids so that they learn these concepts. Um, and then we can kind of assess like, checking in and probing like, okay, we've turned this TV on every single day this week. Like maybe on Friday, I tempt because it's an expected routine, right? I tempt a student and see like, is it generalized yet? Do they use the word on to turn the TV on? So yeah, I think you can like systematically set it up so that you're able to take data and show progress. Um, You have to think through it in, in a little bit of a different lens though, by like being specific about the level of support and scaffolding you're giving students. I was either going to ask about the pecs versus core board or if you wanted to walk through like how you plan a therapy session. Okay. So I think when clinicians are writing goals, I think that we should just be more specific about the levels of support that we're giving because it's not that we just introduce a concept or we introduce this idea and then kids will automatically be able to, you know, show us on a device. We have to take into consideration the different levels of prompting. And also we have to consider that different words have different levels of use and proficiency. So I have some students who use some words and they don't need any prompting uh, or maybe like very little support to use those words. Um, But a newer word that we're just introducing or a more abstract word could be a completely different story. So I think when you're just thinking through goal writing, kind of being specific and then of course, including the levels of support so that you're able to keep tracking data and changes over time, but you're not just looking at independent use right? You're thinking about all the different levels of prompting and uh, visual cues and modeling and all those things in order to, you know, reach those outcomes. Totally. I like that shift in goal writing and thinking through, we're also changing the way we're giving prompts and how we're fading. We're trying to fade those away too, because that leads to generalization. And I was thinking about what you were saying earlier, just it, I, I know you say this a lot, inspire, not require. And I think when I see my students, especially virtually, it's been really tricky. My students are not always into the activity that I think that they should be into. And so mm-hmm. that is another piece to the puzzle too. Is this motivating to talk about? And mm-hmm. that could be another reason why they're not saying anything novel as well or grasping that single word you're talking to them about. Totally. And like, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize. I think a lot of us as clinicians, because we have really big caseloads and we have tons of work and not enough time, I think that we tend to plan lessons specifically around specific words. So it's like, oh, I'm going to read this book and it's going to be really great for on and off, which is fine until a student shows you that they're not having success. And when a student's not showing me success with a word or an activity, my first thought is they probably aren't that into this. And so that's the first kind of layer, right, is figuring out are they into this. And so I always have kind of activities to fall back on to kind of re-up my students, especially virtually. So if I'm working with a student and I know they love Toy Story, right, it's like, okay, I at least have Toy Story to fall back on to kind of get some momentum in this session. And so I think it's just, it's really important to think about what's motivating students. And especially if you're able and you have the ability to work with families 
families. That's where we really build off of what students are really excited and motivated by. And we figure out the words based on the activities that they're motivated by instead of, oh, I have this really great book or it's a core word of the week for on and off. And that's important too, but we need to balance this idea of pre-planned words and targets with, okay, we, we want to keep moving the needle for functional communication. So we need to really hone in on what a student's interested in. And so working closely with people that know that student the best, parents, is really important to just make sure that you're really on target and you're really motivating kids to communicate independently. And sometimes it's like very hard because they have very limited interest. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what else I could possibly do with pipe cleaners or like whatever random thing that kids are into. But it's it's kind of our job as the adults working with kids to really figure out what they would be excited and motivated to talk about and keeping things fun and fresh and exciting. I love using gifts for that reason because they're really funny and unexpected. So just kind of thinking through that lens to just like make sure that we're doing motivating things for kids to see kind of where they're at language-wise. Totally. So I'm going to just sum up kind of what we were talking about for the key points is that one, we want to think through our goals and the level of prompting that we're trying to maybe fade away or where we're starting at within therapy and hoping to get to that generalization piece. And then always modeling and finding inspiring things for our students to talk about is really some key foundational points for approaching therapy. Am I right? Is, would that? That's it. Yeah. That, those that, are like two, two very important things. Also just remembering that students with autism who have verbal speech are still really good candidates for AAC. If you have a lot of scripted language and kids are not using spontaneous language and not using language in unique and novel ways, great candidate for AAC. And oftentimes the auditory output of a high tech device is really motivating for kids. Sometimes picture exchange and communication boards, um, kids hit plateaus with those. The moment you introduce something that's high tech, like every kid is like, ooh, what's this fun thing? And so that can be really beneficial. Um, Having that auditory output can motivate kids to want to communicate more. And also it allows them to kind of explore words and their device on their own, whereas a communication board doesn't have that. So the auditory output of high tech uh, speech generating devices can be really, really valuable for kids, um, even if they have verbal speech. Okay. So if, if, If an SLP was going to start incorporating AAC, I know some people have asked, do I pick PECS? Do I pick a core board? Do I pick an AAC high tech device? Where should they start? Or where, yeah, I guess where should they start? I think that's a loaded question. (laughs) It is. It is. Where do they start? Well, it depends on who it is and what they need. But I will say that there's a few kind of benefits to all the different systems and approaches out there. So PEX is one that I see a lot of. And PEX is good for teaching initiation of communication because you have to actually give a like picture card to someone. But the problem, the big problem I have with PEX is, is actually there's two big problems. One, what? how many adults do you know who use PECs? Like, I don't know a single adult who uses PECs. So <laughs> I'm fine if you want to maybe introduce that in a preschool classroom and it's kind of a system-wide, like everyone has a PECs book and whatever. But like then, you know, I meet 12-year-olds with PECs books and I'm like, okay, like – we shouldn't be thinking about PECS as a long-term solution because it's not one. Again, I don't know a single adult who uses a PECS book successfully to communicate. We need a more robust system. The other issue I have with PECS is that the 
items in a textbook are typically always presented in a different way every time. So what that means is if we're it's snack time, what what do I do? I pull out goldfish and cookies and chips and I put that on, you know, the front of a textbook. And what happens then is that it forces children to rely on visual discrimination. They have to look at each icon or photo and they have to be like, okay, what do I want? What's she holding? What do I want? Right? Instead of a communication board where the at least cookies or whatever it might be is always in the same place. It's always the bottom right-hand corner right? It's like I can learn where it is and I don't have to rely so much on the visual discrimination piece, which is just cognitively a lot, especially for our little ones who don't have really long attention spans. I find it really challenging that whole notion that kids need to be looking at each thing and then deciding. So one of the benefits to a communication board is you have the ability to then learn where the locations of your favorite things are. And then you learn the motor plan for those things. And that translates very nicely to a high tech system. The problem with a communication board, it's great for input for core words and visual representation. But when you have kids who start needing to be able to put core words together, when you start combining words into phrases, it's just too much. It's too reliant on working memory. If I want to say a three-word phrase on a communication board, like it's my turn, that takes a lot of working memory to think about what I'm going to say and then, you know, touch each word on the communication board to then build a sentence instead of a high-tech device where you build the sentence, it the word goes into the message window and you can keep referencing the message window the same way that we keep rereading the sentences that we're writing in an email, right? You have the ability to keep going back and, and creating longer sentences and adding on to it. So I like that part of a high tech system because you don't have that ability with a communication board. So once kids are like building phrases and sentences, it's like you got to get to a high tech system. And then of course, high tech systems support literacy, which that's really going to give kids the ability to say anything that they want to say is we can only program so many words on a communication system. We can only anticipate so much. We need to teach kids literacy so they're able to type the words that aren't programmed in their device. So that's kind of the the, the different lenses through which I think about all those tools and options. The reality is any AAC is better than no AAC. So don't get hung up in like all the details. Just really think long term for students, like what is really going to move the needle for them. And again, like I just hate seeing, you know, like 12 year olds come to me and I'm like, well, first of all, they're not even using the textbook that you gave them. So we really need to just think long-term. For me, picture exchange is just a short-term solution for students. So why not start earlier with a high-tech system so that we can keep building skills over time instead of, okay, now they're done preschool. So like, we're going to try a high-tech system. Well, if we tried the high-tech system in preschool, then they'd still have that high-tech system that could keep growing with them as they continue to learn instead of scrapping it and like starting anew. So those are kind of the ways that I like to think about AAC. It's not always cut and dry and clear, but those are some considerations to think about when you're trying to figure out what's a good system for a student. Totally. And I would say for myself personally, the core board is always kind of my, at least I have the core board available to always use. 
and you can make it different levels. So you can use a 60 icon core board, but you can gray out all the ones you don't want. So if you have a student that really is going to be overwhelmed by that, you can keep it simple. But like Rachel was saying, it's all in the same spot. So they know Go is going to stay there. And some things that I've done too with the core board is I'm using it to teach different functions. So I might say, let's go, but I'm touching the Go button or go some more, you know, and I'm not building a full sentence per se on that core board. I might just be touching more go or let's go some more and trying to create a little bit of a, cause some of my kids, it's like, they just need that visual cue of go, but I also don't want them to just keep saying the same script that I teach them. So I might start off with ready, set, go. Cause I know that's going to help keep them engaged because they can feel confident saying go, but then I'm going to shift it up and say, Ooh, let's go some more and just try to break that script for the students. And, but then I like that idea about the AAC device. So I think we could probably talk forever about this, but maybe if you could wrap up with some tips on, okay, so we want to start maybe using a high tech AAC device. How would we even navigate that? Or how do we, let's say our district isn't really wanting to give us a bunch of devices. Are there some AAC apps that maybe we can get for students or what, what do you, how do you recommend that roadblock of just getting the actual devices? Yeah. So I think that the best thing that you can do, hopefully you have access to an iPad. A personal iPad would work. A lot of the AAC companies, you know, if you reach out to them and say, hey, I'm an SLP and I want to trial your system with students who I think might benefit, oftentimes they'll give you a you know, free version of their app to trial. You typically just have to send like, like, yes, I, here's my license number. Like I am an SLP. And so that's one thing is just having a system where you're able to trial different things. The number one question I get asked is like, what system though? And so there's a lot of systems out there as you guys already know. And so thinking about things that you need your system to have. So having a keyboard, having the ability for grammatical markers. And one of the things that I do is what what system do you already have familiarity with? Like it could be you're like, I know Touch Chat um, or I know Proloquo or I know LAMP. What do you use in your district? Starting with a robust system and then if it's not working, then it's like, okay, well, maybe this student needs features that aren't included in the system. But as long as you're starting with a robust system, it's a good starting off point. And I always recommend SLPs just start integrating it into your sessions. It doesn't have to be this whole big thing where you're like, oh, like I need to like go through this formal AAC process. And you can get to that point where you're like, okay, He's made a lot of progress in my sessions while I'm using this device. I think that he needs an AAC assessment because I think that he is going to be, you know, a great candidate for this. And so I just really think that you can start small. I love masking, like you were talking about, Felice, masking some of the vocabulary. I think a lot of people, they feel overwhelmed because they're like, oh, these templates, they have so many words. Most um, of the systems out there have the ability to mask or search for words in a way that makes it a little bit easier and it's not so overwhelming. So just start using it in your sessions and then collecting some data. Like start small too. Like it doesn't have to be like you model all the words and start with one word. Focus on what a child's motivated by. If it's sensory, like work with the word go 
Or if it's like they love the iPad or music, work with the word play. If they're obsessed with food, work with the word eat, right? Or the Mm -hmm. specific foods. Start small and just see if you can like start seeing small gains in your sessions. And then you can kind of reach out for more support by going to your AAC specialist. If you have one in the district, reaching out to one of your local reps for PRC or Toby Dynavox, you can kind of get this extra support. But first, just like get started and see during your sessions, can this be useful for this student? Totally. And see what happens when you're modeling and getting them inspired in your room. And then you can go, guys, this is going to work for this student. Let's try it. So I love that. Such practical ideas. So thanks, Rachel, for all that. I know we could talk probably way too long about this. And you are a rock star at AAC. So if you're going, oh, I love Rachel's content, you can totally find her on Talking with Tech AAC podcast where she talks about AAC all the time. And you can look for specific episodes that maybe you're one you have more questions about. Rachel, maybe share a little bit more about how they can connect with you. Yeah. So the podcast is a really great place because we talk every week about AAC um, and there's really something for everybody there. Our website is talkingwithtech.org. And what's really nice is if you go to the episodes tab, there's literally a search function and you can search for whatever it is that you're looking for. So you're like, oh, eye gaze or core words or you know beginner or whatever it is, it'll scour our show notes and it will find specific episodes. So that's a really great place to start. I I share a ton on Instagram at Rachel Mato SLP. Um, I share a lot of actual clips from my sessions. So I do a lot of work with coaching parents. And that's an area I think a lot of people are like, ah, coaching, I don't know what to do. And so definitely follow me on social media. Um, I have tons of free resources on my website, rachelmadel.com. There's actually a freebie section on my website. So there's tons and tons of resources that you can grab there for free. You also should definitely sign up for my email list because I give lots of extra freebies to my email list and also share when I'm doing any type of speaking engagements. Oftentimes I get asked to present at conferences and I'm always kind of like keeping my email list in the know. So those are the the best ways to get in touch. But definitely like, you know, I think that the biggest takeaway here is don't be intimidated by AAC. I think we just get frozen in fear because we're like, oh, like I don't know all the things about AAC. So like, I just don't know what to do or how to get started. Just get started. Just know, like you learn as you go and feel confident that getting started is the right move because I think that what happens is that like we're frozen in fear and then, you know, kids go years and years without access to the tools that can really help move the needle. So if you ever have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. And I would love to, you know, chat with you and brainstorm because obviously I'm very passionate about AAC and helping and, you know, teaching. And I think that once you kind of realize that, you know, we there's so much to know about AAC. I don't even know everything there is to know about all the tools and features and all those things. But when we stick with what we know, we know about best practice, then it'll take us really far in helping our students. Totally. And you also have a very wonderful YouTube channel. I I use some of your videos to send to parents for coaching. Like you have a really good core board modeling uh, video that's perfect for sending as asynchronous 
to a parent, like check this out and see what it looks like. So you have a lot of great resources. Thank you again for chatting with me. It was so much fun. You're always engaging. And I think everyone's going to really like this podcast. So again, everybody out there, remember to be the SLP that every kid wants to see and stay inspired. We'll see you next time.